Well, help me welcome to this pulpit. I believe Miss Rose is coming first. Would you help me welcome both Kevin and Rose Sandbrook as they come to preach the word of the Lord tonight and receive them in the name of Jesus. Amen. worship incredible my lord where's miss lisa that was incredible and there's that drummer boy who was playing the keyboard today and i'm thinking drummer boy keyboard player oh my goodness is there anything this boy can't do powerful we had a wonderful time today with the youth oh my goodness i tell you what they're on fire these are on fire completely on fire, sold out for Jesus, and there's nothing better than to have those kids in your place. I'm just telling you what, they're just crazy for Jesus. <laughs> crazy. Prophets, so many prophets. It was wonderful. I, I came away so refreshed just being with them. It was incredible. So thank you for, you know, just being there today and pouring out, because you poured out on, onto us today as well, and on one another. It was great. It was just, we say powerful, but I don't think you say powerful. I think you say powerful powerful it's powerful good <laughs> see I, did, I was explaining today a few wee a few wee Irish sayings you know about you where are you have you learned about you about you what about you that means how are you we had such fun today with some of those words and I, I'm quite tempted to bring Autumn and, and Lisa up here to to do a wee you know accent but I don't think they would no lick no no she's going no no they apparently they say let's do a Miss Rose they try my accent all the time. I can tell you, they're quite good. <laughs> They've learned a bit of Irish already. But before I bring uh, what I have to say, I, I, first of all, we spent seven years here, um, many years ago, working with the Native Americans, going along the Trail of Tears, um, repenting on behalf of what the Irish did. And that was, that was quite the honor. But one thing that I really learned from day one of that journey with the Native Americans was that they bring, they do protocol. As soon as you go somewhere, you give a gift. Because when you give a gift, then the enemy can come in. Your brother and you, there's no way that the enemy can get in because honor is one of the highest forms of warfare. So I, I really feel that we need to learn honor, especially the young people. Uh, if you can get a hold of honor, what it means to give honor and also to receive honor, but to give honor, there's nothing better than doing that because I'm telling you what, when you do that, the enemy has no hold and, can, and no way in because he's pouring out to somebody else. So, and we want to do that tonight. So for Miss Devon, well, I've got to come back for that one, but for this, Miss Devon, you took me to the tea room yesterday. I'm telling you what, that's something else, that place. If you haven't been, you need to go. And thank you for my code of favor. My, <laughs> how fabulous is my code of favor? Don't I look fabulous? But, but that wasn't a very good answer. <laughs> you see, I think I look fabulous in my code of favor. <laughs> so please encourage me, because you know, when you get to my age, you take every bit of encouragement you can get. But I brought you this from our village. There's a castle in our village, and uh, there's a tea room in the castle. And 
you know our queen passed away and queen we would take every morning she would stop at 11 o'clock and she would have her cup of tea and this is a tea cup and saucer from the castle to remind you not only of our queen but to remind you that you're the queen bee of this house you are the queen bee of this house and when you get in and do that dance that the queen bee does to, to rally her worker bees those guys get in behind you and are going to follow you wherever you would take them so i wanted to bless you with that and i want you to when you're taking tea in that teacup that's not to look pretty i don't want you setting that on a shelf just to look pretty i want you to use that because when you take that cup of tea i really pray that the lord and his kindness you will sip of the kindness of the lord as you sip and let him refresh you and restore you as you take it and remember us <laughs> the other thing that we had was we were in scotland in the summertime we were blessed someone gave us a, a holiday to go to scotland because i hadn't been too well so someone felt blessed they felt they had to bless us which we took a wonderful holiday to scotland and we had a great time so we went to scotland but when we were in scotland the lord spoke to me about you guys and he said get get them a gift from scotland so back in july we were thinking about you kevin why don't you come up the other kevin <laughs> which kevin you're giving my kevin <laughs> this i would love to get this out of this bag Unknown to me, your strong desire, Miss Devon, to come to Scotland. This is the tartan from the Isle of Iona. And you're going to hear a little bit more tonight about Columba and the story and the apostolic call that he had. But this tartan's called the Sound of Iona. And the Lord says, as you mantle yourself with this sound, may you release the clarion call of the apostolic throughout the nations, and may your sound be heard in the nations, through the nations, and may it reverberate and literally gather those. And I was joking earlier about the worker bees, but may the Lord pull in behind you those people that you have need of to follow you so that you can take the sweetness of the word wherever you go, but you will carry the sound of Iona, that strength of the apostolic call as you walk and we're going to walk on Iona when you come. We're going to walk. But you can bring your tartan and walk on, on the land and call up from the root that sound of Iona that it carries for the apostolic. Thank you for your gift you are to the body of Christ. Thank you. Bless you. And for Mr. Kevin on the front row. My goodness, what a name. What a name. The Lord said, get him the Wallace tartan. So this is a wee, a wee winter scarf, and it'll keep you cozy when you're getting a wee bit chilly around here, but we want to present you with this because this is, you talked about freedom tonight, and, and William Wallace was a brave heart, one who carried the call of freedom on his lips, and you carry that call, even just tonight, speaking to the people here, speaking to the people online, you were carrying that call of freedom. Your greatest desire is to see people set free people broken from addiction, people the hurting and the lost. And tonight we want to honor you by giving you this, Wallace Tartan. And I was asking the Lord for a word for you. And he directed me to Revelation chapter 10. And I know this 
work, this ministry is redemption to the nations. But what I felt in my spirit was there's another, another level that is coming, another dimension that is coming. And he asked me to read this. Verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And what I sense the Lord, Pastor Kevin, saying to you and to this house, is that there is a stream of prophecy and ministry into the nations that is swelling and growing. It will be as a tsunami into those places of darkness around the world to which the Lord directs you. There will be such power and might that darkness cannot stand. It will not stand. I would invite everybody here, I'm sensing this in my spirit, could you just stand and extend your hands towards your pastors? Father, with such a high, high, high level of calling, Father, we decree an exponential increase of intercessory prayer covering for them tonight in the name of Jesus, that you would ignite such a fire of the Holy Ghost in the hearts of their intercessors, Lord God, that it will be as though there will be a manifestation as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That wherever you set the soles of your feet, physically or in the spirit, the Lord says, no man shall be able to stand before you. And every enemy that arises against you one way shall flee before you seven ways, says the Lord. For now is the time to increase that prophetic flow unto the nations, says the Lord that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water unto the liberty and the freedom. For is this not your cry, freedom? Into the hearts of the oppressed of the nations, says the Lord. Just begin to pray in the Spirit. I invite you to do that. Oh, Wall of fire, wall of fire, wall of fire, wall of fire. Wall of fire, wall of fire, wall of fire. Impenetrable wall of fire, impenetrable wall of fire. Go, 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 go. Go in the name of Jesus. Go in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. And uh, just one last thing. Um, I signed a copy of my latest book. <laughs> and I hope I haven't cheapened it by my signature, but I want to give that to you and, uh, and Devon. God bless you. I just want to add to that. What I seen during that intercession just now was 
a massive tent, a white tent. There's purity in this house. There's purity in this house through this ministry. But this was a, a large tent. But then I seen hands come down and lift out tent pegs. Add an extension on to that tent. It's attached to the tent, but it's an extension on. I know you have an extension, but the Lord said this is another extension. This was this side to the right side. And you're going to push out and then you're going to put the stakes down in fresh. So there's going to be an extension to this ministry in the year ahead, I believe the Lord said. Hallelujah. Everybody okay? We're going to have some, because we're online, I need to explain before, before I go there. I was just about to say we're going to have some crack tonight. The crack is C-R-A-I-C, which is a Gaelic word for great fun. We're going to have a great time in the Holy Ghost. We're going to enjoy one another. I said that at the Joyce Myers conference and the whole people went. <gasps> and I was like, you're going to come to Ireland and you're going to have great crack. It's going to be brilliant. And I was like, what is she saying? So we're not going to have any strange substances about the place, but we are going to have a wonderful time in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Who needs it anyway? We've got Jesus. We've got the joy of the Lord. When I was coming over on the plane, I always asked the Lord at the beginning of the Jewish New Year, what are you saying to us, Lord, about the year ahead? And this is the word that he gave me. I am crowning this year with wisdom. My sons and daughters need my wisdom to choose well. Choose your alignments, your community, your friends. Choose your business partners. And then he said this, just because you've always done it that way, doesn't mean it's my way today. Listen to my voice and choose well. If you listen, you will hear the rhythm of my heartbeat in order to move. So stay in time. Even if it's the faintest whisper, you can still hear me. Then he says, I have been marking my people this past two years, marking them as pure or as unholy, as authentic or as counterfeit. My name on each one, and by this stage, by today, by this stage, it should be visible. So look again and see with the eyes of discernment. Check the heart motivation, the who's who. And then he said this, as you're about to find out. Now that's a bit scary. That's a nice hallelujah moment. You want to be in the pure camp. It's no longer days of compromising in faith, but days of immovable faith, unswerving, relentless pursuit of my kingdom, knowing you belong to me and walking as my sons, using your authority in my kingdom. I have written restitution throughout the years, times where you will see things returned to their original intent. How they should have been in me. You will see the could have beens Correct it. Some of you have had some, well, it could have been. This is the year the Lord's going to correct those things. You will see times where I will release the angelic to pay back what was rightfully yours. Miracles only you and God know about, he said. There's some miracles, some things that were stolen from some people in the last season that only you and him really know about. You didn't share it with too many. And all of a sudden, this is the year where you're going to see the angelic bring it back to you. People who have wronged you. I'm sure there's no one here who would 
know anybody like that. People who have wronged you will come to you this year and apologize for what they have done. It will be a suddenly. Then he said this, they will see that you have been marked by me for blessing and not for judgment. People were judging when they shouldn't have been judging. So use wisdom and continue to walk in my ways, allowing me to mold your character. Young people, listen up, and old people and everybody else is watching online, whoever you are, but my spotlight, the Lord says, will be shining on character this year. My church has focused so much on the gifts that they have been elevated to a level above character, and this is not my ways. So much emphasis on the gifts. So you got to have the gifts. Get the gifts. Get the gifts. And what about the character to carry you? Your character, your gift will take you where your character cannot keep you. So you better get your character right first and then begin to flow in the gifts. That's what he's saying here. Character is key. And a good character is a must. So use your gifts correctly through that good character. No selfish ambition in sight. No room for it now, people. I will have a pure Sorry, I will have pure vessels worthy of honor, so I'm cleaning up and I'm clearing out those things in your life that are not me. You will not walk in the fullness of my authority unless you seek, 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 go looking for my holiness. We spoke today about who may ascend the hill of the Lord. You got to look at your own hands and your own heart first before you go anywhere. You got to do that, people. Too much stepping out without even checking, am I even ready, Lord? Is my heart good here? Many have experienced great loss in the last season, but I declare this will be a year of recovery, both materially and spiritually, for my rivers, he said, will begin flowing in and through, bringing life and bringing healing. In the year ahead, there'll be great turmoil and heartache in the world. Well, we know that by looking at the news. But do not despair because you've been marked by me and you can hold your head high and walk in wisdom and in provision. You will see unity in the communities, unity in families and unity in my body, unity to cover and to bring provision. I'm so excited about that word cover because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers when your brother gets it wrong, you better be on your knees praying for him to get back up again. And he's going to bring us provision. They will come together. The, the people of the church will come together. The body of Christ will come together. And the world will watch in awe of how my body will provide for the hurting. Provision will come to you to work out through you. So don't you dare hold on to it. I added that little bit in. He said, don't dare hold on to it. But I thought, don't you dare hold on to it. That's what I want to say. Don't you dare hold on to it. Don't operate in the fear of lack. I have more than enough for you. Come up higher and stand on my holy hill, uncompromising and immovable. Take your place and know me, says the Lord. Businesses you thought were dying in your community will begin to flourish again because of your prayers, and this will be evident of my hand at work, so watch for those signs. There's going to be a flourishing, I believe, in the communities. And then he said this, I'm holding back the tide from Russia. I am working behind the scenes. Men turn on my command. They're going to 
Well, I was listening to the news the other day and I thought, ooh, there's a whole lot of shaking going on over there. Men are turning. And let me tell you, men will turn because the Lord's holding back the tide. Some nations will be judged this year and consequences delivered to those leaders who looked away instead of making a stand, to those who enabled and empowered wrong choices. Again, we all know some leaders who did this when decisions were being made. I don't want to be involved in that. Instead of going, don't make that decision. That's the wrong decision. It's the wrong choice for our nation. We know those people, but unfortunately, if they haven't repented, they're going to be involved in the consequences that the Holy Ghost handing out this year. Corruption, the Lord says, will float to the top for all eyes to see. Social media will be alive with the truth. You will be shocked because I have said enough. I speak the word stable over you, says the Lord, one who is not likely to give way or overturn, one who is firmly fixed in place, one who will not collapse under the pressure. You will hear the sound of a structure falling, one who no one thought ever would. Shock waves will be heard and felt around the world. The Lord says there's a pressure coming that many will not be able to stand up under. But I have a stable people, ones who are uncompromising in their faith, strong and tenacious and ready to run to the battle. You will see a stabilizing in your life. Those emotions of the past years brought by fear will cease as you look to me. No more highs and lows, no more ups and downs, but a stabilizing and establishing of who you are in me. No matter what's going on in the world, remember you are not of this world you got to remind yourself I have a plaque on my office door that says that to remind me every day I'm not of this world wisdom and restitution and recovery are yours you will no longer blend in out of the fear of being attacked your chameleon coat cast off I love that line cast it off people and you will now stand out wearing my coat of favor hallelujah example of it right here you will walk through any storm being a transparent vessel, one who is pure, holy, and uncompromising. How many times has the Lord said that in this word? And full of compassion. You are mine and you are strong, so don't doubt it when the pressure comes. You are strong and stable in me, so stay steady when the fight comes. It is coming. So stay steady when that fight comes. You are able. You will have more than enough You'll be filled up to overflowing and the, to the blessing of many. Use your voice to speak life, to release blessing. Use your storehouses because your storehouses are now ready for increase. So watch me move on your behalf. At times it will come from the most unexpected places, but your barns will be filled with bountiful blessings, says the Lord. I am telling you what, God has got a plan for the next year. And he's shouting at us to be uncompromised. We, we can't be compromising anymore, people. We really can't. And I mean, and I said it this morning, I mean in the little things. You know, like when it says, take your cart back. You don't leave it in the middle of the car park and walk away because it's raining. And you don't want to get your hair wet. We all can identify with that, ladies. But when it says, take your cart back, it means take it back. Because someone in that car park is watching you up here. Woo, woo, woo. They're watching this. And then they see you leave your cart 
What are you letting in through your eye gate? Your ear gate? Don't compromise. I can tell you it is not worth it. He's looking for a stable people. One who are ready for the battle. You can't be ready for the battle sitting watching pornography. You can't be, you can't be ready for the, when you're cursing and swearing. When you're just slipping off and having some of that crack. Not my type of crack, but your type of crack. You can't, you can't be ready for the battle. My crack's better. Much better. Ooh, I, mean, I hope I don't get you in trouble, Pastor. And I keep saying that. Anybody listen? It's not that type of crack. It is crack, C-R-A-I-C, a Gaelic word that means lots of fun. There's going to be plenty of that. So, Lord, tonight, I lose wisdom, restitution, and recovery. I lose boldness and discernment for the days ahead. I open the windows of heaven to release the bountiful blessing. Make us stable. Make us uncompromising. Make us immovable, tenacious. Woo! Mark us. Mark us because of your good character in us. Establish us in our coming and in our going. Release us from fear and place within us unswerving faith for the days ahead, closed in your favor and in your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Before it goes out of my mind, uh, I've been asked to say that should I overshoot the runway tonight with permission uh, in terms of time, uh, that if it's 8.30, you are free to go and collect your children and then come back. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Is that, is that okay? Is that good? Right. I want to add my thanks also to pastors Kevin and Devon uh, for their kind and gracious hospitality, to our dear friends Lisa, uh, Lisa and Josh, I said Lisa and Josh, but I, Lisa and Josh. That's a tongue twister, guys. My goodness. Okay. Thank you, great friends. These guys looked after one of ours, Stephen, who was here. Some of you may remember him. Oh, I'll tell him you were whooping and hollering. And then Autumn and RJ, thank you also for your kindness and your friendship as well. Hmm? Say that again. What have I put down here? <laughs> JR. We've gone off to a flying start, haven't we? Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks also to the youth. You may remember me in prayer for, I seem to be getting things around the wrong way, and we had a great time with them this morning. It was wonderful. And, uh, and it's great to have our dear friends, Alan and Debbie, with us also. Thank you for being with us. I have written a book, and I'm going to mention the subject of this book tonight and weave it in to your life story and mine. The title of this book is called Dove of Fire, and its subject 
is one of the most influential figures in Western Christian history. And you and I will not be here, would not be here were it not for this man. Perhaps second only to Patrick, St. Patrick of Ireland, his influence is massive. His name was Columba, which in Latin means dove, or in the Irish tongue, column keel, which means dove of the church. He was prolific in his church planting. They were called monasteries. Today we would refer to them as apostolic hubs. They were powerhouses. And they model out for us today a principle that is so impregnated with power that should we, under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, cast our eyes back over a millennium and a half, we would see the brightness and the glory of God, loosed at that time, available for us today, if we were to but apply the principles that we see. And so I'm going to take some time, not too long, but some time tonight, just to weave this into our life story, and hopefully the imprint of his footsteps will be left on your hearts and your spirits. Let's just pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and nourishing to the many tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Many scholars will teach you and tell you of the twin peaks of prophecy, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. I also like to use that phrase, twin peaks, when it's touching history. The twin peaks of history. In other words, if God has done something in your nation, my nation, or in the world through the body of Christ, the ecclesia, in times past, it is perhaps as we approach the final moments of this world's existence as we know it before the coming of the King, what we have seen in the past is perhaps just a tithe of that which is to come. And here, is the treasure available for the body of Christ. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 and 17 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where there is the good way, and walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. I thank the Lord that this church and many other places, the ecclesia around the world, is not only walking but hearkening and is hungry and is learning and gleaning from those that went before our spiritual ancestors that saturated the heavens with their prayers and their praise that we reap of their labors today. And what we very often attribute to our efforts, success, is perhaps just 1%. And the 99% behind that can be located in the prayers and intercessions and declarations of generations that have gone before because we build where they stood. 
Isaiah 43, verse 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And so you might say, well, those things have gone. That's yesterday. We don't need to look back. There's something new that is coming in the future, and it's totally different. Different it may be, but altogether different? I think not. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 52, Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. The treasure of the past in the counsel of God never tarnishes. Job 14 verse 7 to 9 says, For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. And so there is the scent of Holy Ghost water that is like a fragrance over those endeavors and heroes of the past and their labors and their work that is causing it again within the new wineskin of the ecclesia to bring forth and to bud. There is a flourishing in these days with the principles as we flow with them of those that went before and we can glean and learn and see the power and the majesty of God extended in the earth realm. We wear different clothes. We might say things differently, but I tell you, was it not said of John the Baptist that he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah? And so it is with us today. And some things that seem dead are not so. They are merely dormant. When Henry VIII, the tyrant king of England, dissolved the monasteries, and perhaps rightly so because they were fat and flabby and worldly, they fell into ruins, beautiful, glorious ruins, and the monks that have planted seeds in those monastery grounds, those seeds were dormant for over 400, 500 years until some botanists discovered that somehow, in some way, the climactic conditions, centuries later, caused them to spring forth and bud. Listen, there are seeds in the soil of the Spirit that have been sown by mouths of yesteryear, by trumpets blasting centuries before, that in our time, in our day, are for the reaping. And the motto of the United States state of South Carolina says, while I breathe, I hope. The breath of God has never ceased in the earth realm. And whilst days might seem dark, 
and gross darkness covers the people, yet doth the light of his glory arise upon his ecclesia. And do we not hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you? This is our summons in our time. To furnish the Lord as living stones, fitly and compactly joined together, a habitation of God in the Spirit that we blaze in transformable power and light. But the pure glory of the Lord. And I hadn't meant to say this, but I'm going to throw it in as a freebie. But boy, what a freebie it is. Have you ever wondered at the Mount of Transfiguration, that curious episode where there our Lord and Savior appears with uh, Elijah and Moses and the disciples, the three that he called, are amazed and bewildered as he is transfigured before them. And a mist comes down, the Holy Spirit, and the voice of the Father says, this is my beloved Son, hear ye him. And Peter, bewildered, wants to build three tents, and the Father corrects him. But all oh, the glory, the transfiguration, the supernatural light that emanates from his earthly body, pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, pre-resurrection, it's during his earthly ministry. And have you ever wondered why? What is he saying to the body of Christ? He is saying this. I was talking with Moses and Elijah, representative of the law and the prophets. And do you remember, my people, the time that I was questioned, which is the first and great commandment? And I replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he said, upon these two, Hang all the law and the prophets. And the picture we see on the Mount of Transfiguration is perfected vertical love and perfected horizontal love and then the luminosity of Christ's body exploded before their eyes and the Spirit is saying, this is a prophetic picture of the body of Christ before I return. For when he returns, we shall be like him. Amen. So from our 21st century vantage point, it is almost impossible to imagine now over 1,500 years ago the seismic shift and cataclysmic change that presented itself to the population of the dying days of the Roman Empire in the West. And this is the world into which Columba, Dove, was born. Perhaps the closest thing to resemble the catastrophic implosion of the late and fifth, early sixth centuries would be the collapse of the Third Reich in Germany in 1945, by which time after its heady and meteoric rise had plummeted even faster, bombed into oblivion and its symbols of death and hate eradicated forever, this epoch-ending moment did not occur in the Roman Empire as a result of a smooth, seamless transition into a new enlightened era of tranquility, but with brutal death throes 
involving a series of shattering, violent, and bloody spasms that culminated in the rapid, spectacular descent into an abyss of darkness and chaos. And in AD 476, the Dark Ages arrived with all the diplomatic finesse of the Grim Reaper, abolishing with an icy finality the flame of that eternal city, Rome itself, eliminating the glories of Rome, once thought immortal, like a morning mist before the heat of a rising sun in the form of barbarian hordes. Now it was chaos, not Caesar, who reigned. Rome's legions had been replaced by a new occupying force called lawlessness. Augustus and his legacy of half a millennium became a distant memory, and now that great tyrant anarchy held all power with his newly oppressed subjects moving around like nervous woodland creatures in a predator's territory. Life no longer retained the characteristics of classical antiquity, of learning law, peace, and magnificent architecture. The civilized world had passed out of existence. Life was, as one person described it, nasty, brutish, and short. Survival, not sophistication, was the primary goal. The economy collapsed, and there was now a pervasive sense of threat and foreboding that permeated everything, punctuated by pillage and slaughter. Malignancy and malice left nothing untouched. The apocalypse had arrived with all the power of Hades in its wake, and the bewildered citizens of Rome's provinces now witnessed a cremation as the furious fires of pagandom consumed civilization in its raging furnace. Smoldering ashes were all that remained, ready to be blown away by the withering winds of change. Hell's hurricane blew through every sphere of society, and Christianity seemed on the verge of complete collapse as the dark lords of paganism swept through one land after another. The old world was now dead, and all hope seemed to die with it. And yet... The Romans had called Ireland Hibernia, which means the place of winter, pagan winter, barbarian winter. Uncivilized, the Romans thought that it was a dark place and did not even go there. And yet something supernatural happened in the counsels of Almighty God who calls the things that are not as though they were, that he had an altogether different plan for Hibernia. That the icy cold blasts of that wintry land would turn into the white heat furnace of summer's sun rising and blazing as a new day dawned. And it began on a day where innocence and malice collided for as the Roman legions left the shores of Britannia, now modern-day Britain, they left them defenseless. And with greedy eyes, Irish raiders, chieftains, sought a slave trade fueled by captives that they plundered from these defenseless shores. And so it was that one day that Patrick, the son of a Roman nobleman, 
was taken prisoner along with many thousands of others and brought into slavery into Ireland. He was aged about 16. And there, hidden in Hibernia, the smoldering wick of God's presence began to be fanned into flame as he yielded himself without bitterness to the process, the conclusion of which he had no idea, to be formed into a man of God. And he wrote, Once in Ireland I daily looked after sheep, and praying throughout each day the love and fear of God increased within me, and my faith was strengthened, and being moved in spirit upon the mountains and in the woods, I prayed up to 100 times in the morning and as much at night. Arising to pray a great while before day, whether in snow or frost or rain, I experienced no ill effects or laziness, as the spirit was in me, within me was strong then. He marks a principle for us all to acknowledge that a bitter soul is also a barren one. And he went from a relatively speaking top of the food chain to the very bottom, brutally treated into a land whose language he barely understood. The life expectancy of a slave was about 30 years. He expected a young death, and yet he pressed into God. He made a choice in the hidden places that now reverberates down through the centuries, across the aisles and the seas and the shores around the globe. This young man in isolated obscurity made a choice before Almighty God, I will not be bitter, I will not curse God and die, I will praise His name in the rain, the frost, the hail, I will arise, I will pray to my God. And all the while God was shaping him. The captive's cry has an intensity that is not found in the hearts of the comfortable. The voice in the wilderness has a reverberation, not heard in the crowded places. And God had placed Patrick on his forge, and he was hammering out a weapon for his purpose. The great Irish poet Seamus Heaney in his poem, The Forge, describes the anvil as an immovable altar. And with inspired verse, forms a picture in the mind, and he writes, Inside the hammered anvil, short-pitched ring, the unpredictable fantail of sparks, or hiss when a new shoe toughens in water. Patrick was being toughened in the waters of adversity, but I tell you, those unpredictable fantail of sparks were already igniting in the presence of God. And so Patrick makes his escape. He's led supernaturally. We don't have the time to get into this. Eventually he returns home and the Spirit of the Lord begins to speak to him to send him back to the place of his captivity. He obeys and he returns. And in 432 AD, probably some 25 years after his escape, after some training, he begins his mission to Ireland and lays such an apostolic foundation that about or over 40 of the 150 tribes in Ireland became thoroughly converted. 
And Patrick's spiritual sons and daughters began to build on that foundation. And it's now here that we begin to comprehend or at least understand the importance of people like Columba or Columkeel, same person. And so a generation after Patrick's death, at Garton in County Donegal Island, there today is a large Celtic cross that marks the site of the entrance into this world of one of Ireland's greatest sons. Columba was born on the 7th of December, 521 AD. As a child of noble birth, he had the blue blood of Irish princes coursing through his veins. He was a descendant of the powerful O'Neills, progenitors of high kings of Ireland and warriors. And yet, we hear the counsel of God speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And God says by His Spirit today, before you were born, I knew you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and everyone here. You see, we are not invited to form a committee to deliberate upon our life's purpose and role. Our destiny is not settled by a vote. We do not give our opinions or submit a report comprising our own findings on the suggested course that our life should take. No, we inherit a destiny. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. Those days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. And so with visitations and prophecies and the supernatural acting as midwives, Columba, the red-headed child, was born on that day in Garton. And he was given the name Crimthan, which means fox. And following the custom of the day, responsibility for the child's nurture was given to an elderly priest, Crunachan. And he imparted and he saw to it that Crimson was raised in the things of God. That he absorbed the things as a sponge, soaking it up. And he developed a love of the Scriptures, especially the Psalms. And they began to grow in his heart. And so devoted was he that those around him, recognizing the delight that he took in the things of God, affectionately named him Column Keel, meaning Dove of the Church. And we have come to know him by the Latin name Columba. But nevertheless, traces of Crimson the fox remained with him to the end of his days, as we shall see. And here is a lesson that sometimes those quirky personality traits that are not quite as they should be may surface from time to time, but God will never disqualify those who truly have a heart after him. And despite his failings, God used him massively. And so Columba devoted himself to studying. And here is the wisdom of discipline. Pretty much a dirty world in the world today. I do what I want when I want. No, you end up in captivity if you do that. But discipline, discipline, discipline brings freedom at the highest level. And why is it that the rabid atheist Frederick Nietzsche 
gave such a pearl of wisdom that many in the church today have no understanding or desire to follow. And this is what he said. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. And there thereby results and always has resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. All oh, that the children of this generation are wiser than the children of light. That needs to be reversed in these days. Discipline. Discipline, dedication, and devotion yield the highest levels of freedom, not only to you, but to those whom you are called to reach. And so there followed periods of study at different monasteries from Clonard with a population of some 3,000 monks. They were busy places. And I now think of a prayer well worth retrieving from the dusty library shelves of the past. It is one attributed to Queen Elizabeth I's buccaneer, Francis Drake. And he said, Lord God, when thou givest to thy servants to endeavor any great matter, grant us also to know that it is not the beginning but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished that yieldeth the true glory through him who for the finishing of thy work laid down his life for us, our Redeemer Jesus Christ. Amen. And so when Columba began to be established and establish monasteries, discipline and devotion were hallmarks of his personality imparted to those he discipled. He cultivated a rhythm that became a spiritual dynamo within the apostolic church of that age, without which it would have been impossible for the Irish to have saved civilization, and that is not a jest, it is absolutely true. A book of that title was written on that precise subject, and when the Dark Ages imploded civilization, it was the Irish monks with their discipline, rhythm, and devotion that copied out the great classics of Virgil and Homer, preserving the learning of antiquity in their scriptoriums as well as copying out the scriptures. And when they swarmed like bees across the European continent, which they did, they reintroduced light and learning. And it was said that if you found a Greek speaker in the Western ancient world at that time, no doubt he was to be an Irish monk. Because they were learned, they were disciplined, they absorbed knowledge and they submitted it to the power of the Holy Ghost. And they extended the kingdom of God with that dynamo of rhythm, of prayer, praise, worship, devotion and study. And so the strict regime of the monastic world in the 6th century would probably horrify many Christians today. Discipline? <laughs> in the uncertain world of the 6th century death roamed with a free hand in 535 a volcano had erupted in the tropics releasing a global veil of dust Byzantine historian Procopius reported in 536 he said during this year a most dread portent took place but the sun gave forth its light without brightness and it seemed exceedingly like the sun in eclipse, but the beams it shed were not clear. Temperatures plummeted, crops failed, and a worldwide famine ensued. 
plague followed, decimating the global population on earth, it must have seemed that the four horsemen of the apocalypse were riding forth as the appointed heralds as the end of the world. Time was short, life even shorter. There was no time to waste. The Almighty's great white throne beckoned. Judgment awaited, and the record books kept by angelic scribes were being opened, ready to reveal the secrets of men's hearts. Lives would be assessed, verdicts reached, rewards and punishments were about to be allotted. Had not the scriptures warned? Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And also, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so, within this oppressive atmosphere, the climate of intense devotion was cultivated as a counterculture by the devout to penetrate the omnipresent fog of fear. It rose to defy death and stare down uncertainty, and it became an unstoppable force of faith, defined not by the length of one's days, but by the quality of one's life. And here I pause and suggest how much like that century are the times in which we are entering. And so this house, this ministry, as we have experienced and witnessed, is busy creating that climate of devotion that is penetrating any climate or fog of fear. But I tell you, the days in which we abide are uncertain, and so uncertain days call for a certainty in the body of Christ, a stability, a power, a strength, a groundedness, and endued with power and strength from on high in order to meet the challenges that lie ahead. And I hear the Spirit saying, will you be willing in the day of His power? And so in Columba's day, and Columba as a pioneer understood that under these pressures, resilience and robustness were stamped and to be stamped upon the gold ingot and not only his life, but also the apostolic hubs that he formed. His worldview was shaped by these experiences. Our worldview should be framed with a prophetic understanding that we know the times and the seasons and things are coming upon the world that will cause men's heart to fail. And yet we, above all people on the face of the earth, are called to hold forth the word of life. And so his faith was fashioned by the brevity of life and the proximity of eternity. Worldliness was stripped away like dead bark from a tree. And the warrior stepped forth, clad with the full armor of God. Intimidated by nothing, he personified what it meant to be a Miletes Christi, a soldier of Christ. And he set his face like flint, and yet there remained for a moment at least, an unsanctified part of his nature. W.B. Yeats, in his poem, The Second Coming, wrote, 
turning and turning in the widening gyre. The falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart and the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. It could have described exactly the malignant forces that that unsanctified part of Columba unleashed in a fit of pique and pride. Pride is costly. Pride destroys. The ripples of pride extend far beyond the first impact of offense. And when the reservoir of resentment swells, it will at last burst the dam of restraint and release a tidal weight of revenge upon the unsuspecting offending party. And so it began because of Columba's love of the Psalms. And he discovered in one monastery that he was serving under Athenian, uh, the abbot, that this abbot had a precious, beautifully crafted copy of the Psalms, perhaps done by the hand of St. Jerome himself. And so, by stealth, during the night time, he would not sleep. He preferred to go secretly behind closed doors and copy out this sacred copy of the Psalms until he was discovered by one brother walking past the door who saw a chink of light, peeped in and saw Columba furiously scribbling away his secretive and stealthy enterprise. He told the abbot, who said nothing until the copy was complete and Columbus' nocturnal labors finished. And then he approached him and sought to take the copy from him because in his eyes it was illicit. Offended, stubborn, refusing, he took the case to the High King of Ireland, and so the first copyright case in history was heard there. Columba was an O'Neill, a northern O'Neill. The High King Dermot was a southern O'Neill, and I think he rather thought that he would rule in his favor. He did not. And he coined the phrase, to every calf, every cow belongs her calf, and he awarded the copy to Finian. Incensed, brooding, simmering, it wasn't long until an opportunity to take revenge occurred. During some festivities, a son of one of the High King's officials was accidentally killed, and a kinsman of Columba was the one who was responsible. He fled to the monastery for refuge. The High King's soldiers came, extended no courtesy, took the young lad and executed him on the spot. War was in Columba's heart. And so he summoned his kinsman, the northern O'Neill, and a great battle at Culdrabeen was fought on that day with Columba, it is said, extending his hands like Moses over the scene and the site of the battle, interceding for his own kinsman. And that day, 3,000 souls were lost mostly of the southern O'Neill. This was an offense before Almighty God, the church rightly thought. He was excommunicated. And then later somebody advised that he should be reinstated with the penalty that he should leave Ireland and win as many souls to Christ as had been lost in the battle. 
And there began his greatest mission. He left the shores of Ireland, went across to Scotland, and there met with his fellow kinsmen of the kingdom of Dalriata. They gave him a island called Iona, and there he planted his first monastery. The unceasing rhythm of prayer, praise, study, and work unfolded. Saturday nights and Sundays were given to prayer. The mandatory singing of psalms and other devotions were practiced. Each day fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays became a weekly fixture when no food <coughs> excuse me, was taken until the evening. And each 24-hour period was broken up into hours of prayer. 6 a.m., 9 a.m., midday, 3 p.m., sunset, nocturnes, midnight, towards dawn. The whole island life of the monastic apostolic hub revolved around prayer and devotion. And all the while, God was cultivating a powerhouse and an engine. He gave himself to prayer. And on one occasion, his biographer Adomnan wrote that Columba departed to a solitary place on Iona where he could pray undisturbed. His prayers having begun, there appeared a line of foul black devils armed with iron spikes and drawn up ready for battle. Their target was his monastery, the slaughter of his monks by plague, their aim. Immediately, with all the violence his spiritual energy could afford, he threw himself into the battle. He stood immovable between those dark emissaries of malice and his monks. The battle raged throughout the day. A stalemate existed. He could not drive them away and could not conquer. They could not conquer him. Angels came to his assistance. And the demons were routed in terror, only to visit the plague upon another monastery on the inner Hebridean island of Tyree, where by much prayer and fasting it was stayed. And so we see in his life modeled out not only discipline and devotion, but attention to the war and the battle in the heavenlies. Columba and his kind flourished because of the internal pressure of their spiritual life was greater than the atmospheric pressure around them. I wonder if the same would be true of us today. Worship was a weapon, and it helps explain why Iona became the foundry that forged modern Scotland. He presided over the first coronation of a Christian king, and the very stone that was used to crown that Christian king on Iona will be used to crown King Charles, May the 6th. But I want to finish with this. If you imagine Iona as a portal of power with this rhythm of unceasing prayer and praise going on and on and on, you have to understand that the power of the angelic was also present. And we see that Jacob's ladder and that famous passage in Genesis was seen by Jacob as he rested his head upon the pillow. It is said that actually the stone that was used is the very same stone that Columba used to crown the first Christian king in Scotland. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. And Jacob waked out of his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. 
and he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Hebrews 3 verse 6 tells us that we are God's house, but Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So if we are a house, and the house of God hath Jacob's ladder with angels ascending and descending upon it, are we not entitled to apprehend and understand that the angelic presence is ours there as they partner with us in extending the ecclesia, for they are servants of those who are heirs of salvation. And in this day, as God unleashes His portals of power with the ecclesia of building the kingdom of God, we will see angelic assignments raging across the earth. And this is a season for Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, Ask for rain in the time of the latter rain, and He will send flashing clouds. Referring to the angelic, because you can decode that by looking at Ezekiel chapter 1. And there you have the description of the angelic beings, like flashing lightning. And so as the church begins to pray, as Columba and his time did, we may see an increase of the angelic. We may see the power of Almighty God begin to sweep through the earth realm in unprecedented ways. Discipline, devotion, rhythm, prayer, making declarations, the prophetic, it's all our portion. And as we seek to build upon the labors of the past and apprehend the power and the spirit of men like Columba, we will see the kingdom of God extend and accelerate its extension in Jesus' name. Let's stand and pray together. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, here we are in this day, our time. And I pray in Jesus' mighty name that we would develop an awareness of the moving of the Spirit. That we will give ourselves a discipline and devotion and the rhythm of prayer and praise. That we may see portals of power opened in our places in our time. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that we will develop an awareness of our angelic partners. That we sow into the Spirit, we prophesy and declare according to the Word of God under the leading and the anointing of the Spirit. For your Word, God says in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 12, that they go where the Spirit goes and they turn not. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will bless us with such an awareness. Create in us, Lord, a core fire and bring to us that revelation that we are called for such a time as this. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. One more time, let's tell Kevin and Rose Sandbrook how much we love them. Such a 
command of spiritual authority, and yet I wish he would come home and read me Bible stories as I go to bed at night. Is that not the most magical voice you've ever heard in your life? Just come on, tell them one more time you love both of them. I, just amazing. Make sure on your way out you get this book. He has some available, and uh, it will be a blessing to him, I know, but I believe more than just blessing him, it will bless you. I so appreciate the depth. In a church day where we are often an inch deep and a mile wide, I'm going to have to chew for a bit on the revelation released tonight. And this book will, I think, help you dig even deeper into exactly what he's captured in the spirit. These great generals that we don't talk about anymore are the reason we're standing here tonight in many ways. Extend your hand toward our friends as we prepare to release tonight and as they prepare to go back home next week. This is their last night with us, and so I want to bless them. Now the Lord bless and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord be gracious unto you, and on the left and on the right, may he grant you peace. And even, I hear the Spirit of God saying, even enemies shall be at peace with you, for you have pleased me. And your ways have pleased me, says the Spirit of God. And I see something coming in your favor. I, I sense... And it's as if I see a dam that has held back a bounty of favor and blessing, but there is a crack in that dam, and it is breaking, and it will rush in on your life, and blessing will follow. And it will not be a trickle or a stream, but a torrent of the favor of God. I bless you now. And may the power of God smite the wall and may it be broken in the river of this blessing. This is not a generic thing. This is a specific blessing God has held not from you but for you. And I see divine favor breaking forth in your life in Jesus' name. And nothing will hold it back. We give praise to God. Come on, let's praise the Lord in this room.